Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Odd Jennison, and I can guarantee you that you will be a better human for listening to these stories. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today. I am really happy today to introduce you to Katrina Weller. Katrina was 15 years old when her mother died. And in this episode, you will hear how she was absolutely dismantled by grief. And it changed the way she presented in the world. It it changed the way she walked in the world and interacted with others and um, resulted in a huge transformation in her life. I really want you to be aware of anyone in your life that you know that has children or teenagers who are experiencing loss at this point in time, and I highly recommend that you have them listen to this episode. You know, we can read all the articles we want, But really, when we hear what's ticking within people during different situations, different types of death, different phases of life, that is our most important teacher. Katrina is a 26-year-old grief and loss educator who is normalizing grief through conversation and storytelling. After her mom died when she was 15, she became a voice of advocacy with her own respective network and beyond. Katrina is no stranger to death and over the last 11 years has experienced the death of eight relatives and friends. She now facilitates workshops and provides training promoting grief, literate, and inclusive workplaces and policy. Katrina recognizes that grief is a part of her. However, she no longer lets it define her. I want to mention that Katrina has said that she is sharing parts of her experience in this episode that she has never before shared. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Katrina. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I am too. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> We've been volley, volleyballing it a bit. So, well, um, if, if you wouldn't mind introducing um, your experiences okay. with death with to our audience and um, letting everybody know where you're at in the world. And if we can just chat from there, that would be lovely. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Um, so just to introduce myself, um, I am currently living in Australia. So I'm originally from the UK and I moved to Melbourne, Australia just under two years ago now with my partner, Will, and we have a little dog, Ronnie, as well. Um, and for me, my experiences with death really started um, when I was 15. So my mom was diagnosed with cancer after lots and lots of tests, lots of confusion. They weren't really sure what it was, and she'd been unwell for a long time. We eventually got the diagnosis, and um, she was unwell probably from diagnosis until death for about nine months. Um, and at the time I was 15. Um, and she she died the week before my 16th birthday. So sorry. So that was that was really, really hard and it was um, you know, a very turbulent time. And I, I look back on it now and I I wonder how I I think I was a bit naive. I didn't really recognise how unwell she was. Um perhaps that was partly because I was slightly sheltered from it, I think, from both my mum and dad, but also, you know, it's not something that you expect when you're, you're you're 15 years old. So I look back and I wonder, wow, you know, how, how did I actually cope during that time? How did I continue going to school and studying and doing all of those teenager things? Um, so that was now 11 years ago. I'm, I'm now 26. And um, since then, I have experienced um, the death of a lot of um, relatives. So two grandparents, um, some 
um, aunties and uncles and also some really good family friends. Um, and the m- most recently, um, four years ago, my sister had twins and they were extremely premature, 15 and a half weeks premature. And um, sadly, my nephew died at five days old from mm. sepsis. So I've had a lot of um, death in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something now that you know, for a very long time, it's something I never spoke about. It's something that I never shared with people. I never spoke about my grief and the way I was feeling and I bottled it all up. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point and how that can transpire when you don't necessarily um, talk about it and you kind of keep it contained. But this last three years of my life, three, four years, and um, I've really started to share more about my own grief and my own journey and story and experiences and lessons and it's got me to the point where I am now where I'm now a grief and loss educator I am a podcast host I go into workplaces and I provide training and education on dealing with grief and loss in the workplace and and how we can support each other in the workplace so I've it's been a long, a long turbulent road and it's still turbulent at times, um, or at least it can feel like it is, but um, I'm now at a point where I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm happy to share my, my lessons and the things I've learned and my experiences in the hope that it can resonate with somebody else and maybe help them feel less alone um, because feeling alone when you experience a death is, is one of the worst feelings. Um, and I think that having that community and having that connection can be really, really healing and really, really helpful. So that's that's kind of my mission now and my purpose now is to provide people with that community and connection. Beautiful, beautiful. And I think um, a bit unique to have had that much profound loss at your age. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just speaking with someone the other day who was talking about being in their 20s and, and had had her, her mother had died and mm-hmm. realizing that as she looked around, you know, that wasn't very, very typical. Mm-hmm. You know, most people were older when they were going through that. So I'm sure you're pulling in an audience if they're connecting with your stories that really needs to have some mm-hmm. connection with somebody else going through that. The thought came up to me when you were talking about, I was 15. Mm-hmm. 16 during that process with your mother, how did I cope? And um, I'm just, I want to speak on it a second because Mm -hmm. um, the therapist hat going on, but, you know, (laughs) developmentally that those teen years are a huge place of egocentricity Mm -hmm. where we're focused on ourselves. And, and um, I think in hindsight, would be easy to be thinking and or maybe even beating yourself up a few years later, you know, like, whoa, was I so selfish? But, but, you know, to understand and for other people to understand that the developmental task at that age, I, I I like to illustrate it by remember when you, if you went to a basketball game and you Mm -hmm. were walking in the gymnasium and there's hundreds of people there, but you are quite certain at that age that everyone is looking at you, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I, and, and I think, um, you know, this is, this is something that I always say as well in regards to expectations on other people, because at the time, you know, none of my friends had experienced the loss of even a grandparent, really, let alone a parent. And many of them acted in ways that at the time were very, very hurtful to me. And I, and I resented them for it. But now in, in hindsight, my perspective has changed because I see that you know, at that age, as you say, we are selfish. It's our time to focus on ourselves. It's our time to focus on what we want. And um, unfortunately for them, they didn't, you know, they didn't want somebody in their life who was broken in many ways um, or felt broken in many ways. And um, they, you don't know what you don't know. And I'm grateful now that they didn't know what to do because it meant that they hadn't experienced that pain and that loss that I had. Um, so, you know, it, it was a strange time, but I also think that it, the fact that I was 15 meant that, you know, I did have to grow up very, very fast. And I think that a lot of those tendencies um, in terms of, 
you know, my ego and they, they came to light later on in my life because I almost didn't have the opportunity to be that way at that age. So it was almost a delayed process. And there's a lot of evidence out there, which I'm sure I'm sure, you know, with your background, you know, that says mother loss, especially at a young age can result in, you know, higher levels of anxiety, depression, loss of identity. Um, and all of those things for me were definitely true. Mm. I, I I didn't know who I was anymore for a very long time until recently. I haven't known who I am um, because my life was shaken up so early on. If you could take us back there, what did what did that actually look like for you as you walked in the world after your mother's death? So um, initially, I mean, I had always been a very very quiet. Um, reserved person very very shy at school I had maybe a handful of friends and that was it didn't speak people knew me as the girl that didn't really speak Um, I was just I was happy but I just didn't say much Um, and after my mum died I almost got this anger like anger in me and I couldn't not say anything um so I became quite outspoken at school outspoken in class to my teachers and I just wanted to I think internally I wanted to scream you don't understand I'm I'm hurting I'm alone I don't know what to do but externally I was not saying that um and instead I was just you know skipping class I wasn't um I was being quite reckless with my behavior. I was answering back to teachers and I had just done a complete 180 on the person and the girl that, that I was before. Um, mm. I hadn't, for a very long time, I didn't accept that my mom was gone. I struggled a lot with um, nightmares and um, bad dreams and just imagining that she was still, thinking that she was still there, but for some reason, none of us could see her. And it was a very very, very confusing time. Um, as I say, nobody around me had lost a parent. So it felt very isolating. I felt very alone. And a lot of the time my friends would avoid talking about their moms because they didn't want to upset me. But in actual fact, their avoidance upset me more. Um, so yeah, it was, it was this kind of time where I was changing. I was becoming more outspoken um, and I ended up just not really seeing the point in anything. I think that's what the root was. I just thought, well, how can this happen to someone so wonderful? How have I ended up without a mom at this age? What is the point in doing anything in life? What's the point in studying and going after my goals? Because it's just going to end up in death. So what what is the point? Um, and I carried on like that for, for a very, very long time. Um, and I I didn't really realize it like I can reflect on it now and see that but you know I didn't realize that that's how I was feeling at the time and that's kind of my thought process I I just at the time was doing what I thought I knew was right I was always right because you know as teenagers we always are um but now I have that perspective to see that I was just in a lot of pain um and I didn't know how to share that with people um it ended up at home being me, my dad, my sister and my brother, both my brother and sister are older than me. Um, however, they were out at work and, you know, um, busy with their friends. So I ended up taking up on a lot of the household responsibilities, not because anyone asked me to, but I think I just put it on myself. Um, so I was doing a lot of the cooking, the cleaning, the food shops, um, and kind of just looking after the house in that way, because I saw that my dad needed that support. Um, he worked very hard. He worked away a lot, and that—that's what he had to do to be able to, you know, keep himself afloat, but also keep the three of us afloat. Um, and it—I it, had this. I was quite jealous, I think, of the people around me and of my friends that they didn't have that responsibility. They could, after school, you know, go out with their friends, do whatever they wanted, go home. Their parents will cook them dinner or will have tidied their room or just and washed their clothes and I was there doing the ironing for my whole family and I didn't get that that ch- that opportunity to be that selfish teenager um and I did feel quite jealous so that's kind of the first 
few years. And then as I got older, um, I started turning to, to other, other things. So, um, I drank a lot, a lot of alcohol, um, a lot of, um, yeah, just reckless behavior, um, becoming part of friendship groups that were quite toxic, um, and and self-harm as well so I I I've just didn't talk to anybody and it really 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 um was damaging I think it was mm-hmm. really really dangerous for me um until the point where you know um I, I made the decision that I, I I didn't know what else to do I had tried every avenue to stop feeling the grief that I was feeling I thought the grief I was feeling was abnormal I thought you know it's been six months I should be over it now by now everyone's telling me I should be strong why do I feel this way so Mm -hmm. I thought I was abnormal and I didn't really know how else I tried every other avenue and it got to a point where I decided that um, I didn't want to be here and it was at that point that you know I didn't have an option really but to talk to somebody and that's mm-hmm. really where the the change started to happen, and that was only you know four years ago, so it's, it took a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I um, really appreciate you sharing this deeply and graphically. It's the perfect example of when we say, you know, if you don't process the grief and give yourself that space, it will come out in other ways. It will have its oh, way. Yeah, and negatively with you it's going to have its way with you no matter what but Mm. this is a really concrete example of that isn't it yeah definitely and you know it it showed up in not just the actions I was doing but also the people I was engaging with and how they treated me Mm. um I was in in a an, an, uh, an abusive relationship for three years and a lot of that came down to my belief of how I saw the world and that you know everything bad just happens to me I've lost my mom Mm. everything bad just happens to me and I was very I was very much in that victim mindset and you know I I don't I don't say that to say you know we shouldn't what has happened sucks and it's awful and it is painful and we need to acknowledge it but also I I allowed myself to stay stuck in it so I couldn't see anything else around me I just couldn't see any of the the good in my life because I didn't allow myself to. So if you had a magic wand Mm. and you were the person looking in or an entity looking in at your 15-year-old self, Mm. um, because it is hard sometimes to reach the (laughs) 15-year-olds in the 60s, right? But, but, you know, speaking to our listeners that may be in that situation or have a relative in that situation or may even be the 15 or 16-year-old, what would you have hoped somebody would have helped you with or pointed you to or done with you Mm. or that you would have done yourself at that point can you give some insight into that yeah I think the main thing was just listen um I think a lot of adults around me didn't like to see me my friends definitely didn't like to see me upset but I don't like to you know they were 15 as well right you know that it's hard but but adults in, in in particular they they didn't want to see me upset so they wanted to fix me right they wanted to make sure that I was okay and as you do as an adult you don't want to see a child in pain and that meant that I got a lot of people say things to me like she wouldn't want you to be upset um you've got to be strong um like and and it just it invalidated the way that I was feeling. I even had a teacher say to me, I know how you feel. My my mom died last year. And I was sat there thinking, you are 40, 50 years old. You don't, you don't know how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the, just the lack of somebody just listening instead of trying to fix me, just listen, just sit and listen and let me know that the way I'm feeling is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it all transpired because I, I thought that I was abnormal. I already felt different to all of my peers. And then to, on top of it, I thought that the way that I was grieving was wrong or different. Yes. Yeah. And so- it just feels like when you're saying that to me, I'm just imagining these people just kind of like patting you on the head, you know, mm. just do this or it will be better soon. Yeah. When what I'm hearing from you is what you needed 
more of was just sit and tell me how you're feeling. And again, you know, let's give, you know, whoever grace, because of course, a 15 year old, I mean, that's, that's bigger than it sounds for a 15 year old to be able to sit and tell a person. Mm. And it's almost, you know, I'm really big on proactively seeing somebody that we know has gone through huge loss themselves. And, you know, in that position, preferably Mm. has lost a parent as a teen, you know, and if we could, you know, if we could help people get into those spaces um, and sit with somebody who's really familiar with that type of story, so you know they'll listen deeply, I feel like that proactively, that kind of intervention would be so helpful. Oh, definitely. You know, I've got such a wonderful community around me now that that so many friends and people that I've met just through social media and in person that were similar age, similar age to me when they lost their mom and or or just a parent and it it the the connection there and the 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 power that that has had I think has been absolutely wonderful and I really do wish that I had that when I was younger but also you know I I'm not sure whether it was accessible as accessible when I was 15 Um, my dad definitely did try, you know, he encouraged me to go and see a counselor. I did go see someone who worked specifically with young people, but because of the age that I was, I was 16. So I was kind of on that like thin line of between being like a child and turning into an, what they class as an adult in Mm. medical fields. Um, it was it was quite it was quite difficult and i also felt like i was being told at that time i remember feeling like you're telling me to go and see someone because you think there's something wrong with me yeah that's what i keep hearing with this is yeah. that that messaging that was going on within yourself already because you're getting these things messages of everything will be okay or just give it time mm-hmm. um so and we talk about this, don't we? We have all of these people that tell us these stories and we hear from people all the time about those types of comments Mm. because people don't know what to say, but this is really, you know, again, your story is unfolding in a way that actually shows us how that can land with people Mm. rather than what I think would have been really helpful for you to hear is this is really messed up mm-hmm. and every messed up thing you're feeling is normal. Yeah. Um, Just a bit of acknowledgement. I think. Yeah. Validation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and then open up and be quiet, you know, then just be a vessel, you know, I mean, if you could, if you could hit on a comment like that, that can help open up a teenager mm. or someone that, and just then hear it. But we all need that validation that we're not, going off the deep end and yeah yeah everything feels so chaotic when when a death happens Mm. you know and so so you just need somebody to actually be able to sit with you and see and show you that they're there and it's still and you've got that time to be able to express what you need to express without judgment without someone trying to fix you and you know I, I really do I really don't like to say, you know, there's right, and I think we, we've spoke about this previously before, but there's a right and wrong thing to say. Yeah, I think that the fact that somebody's trying to say something or trying to help it speaks a lot louder than what they actually, you know, physically comes out of their mouth. But I do think that there, there's a lot to say for just learning about what might sit better yes. um, and just educating yourself and being aware of the the way your words can impact somebody, whether the intention is good or not, that, you know, you can't control how somebody else receives that. Um, And it's just having that awareness. And then if you do say something wrong, acknowledging it and saying, okay, what could I say better? Like, what can I do next time that would be better? Um, Rather than just staying silent then. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I think both, you know, again, from our previous conversation, I think you and I would both agree that what we'd love to, to, for people to get from conversations like these is if you're the person that's grieving 
feel empowered if something's not sitting well with you mm-hmm. to say, I know you're coming from, you know, trying to really come from a great place, but that's not really helpful right now. Yeah. Could you just listen or, you know, at least speak your feelings. But then also what I find with the placations is I always, I always say you need to add a for me, like Mm -hmm. you need to be through this by now for me. Like this has been going on too long for me, you know, that we really need to check in with mm-hmm. what our motivations are, with what we're seeing. And I think a really honest way to swing back and could meet somebody and they could actually feel validated is just by admitting, I don't have the words. Yeah. Help me. You know, if they're, how can I help you? Um, I'm yeah. here. <laughs> you know, but we don't have to have the words because really you and I know there aren't you know, no, you're, you're never no going to land on the right words for me. No. Right? No. no. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you don't know what to say, do something. You know, mm. we, I can't say how grateful we were as a family for the, you know, I, I make jokes that we had enough casserole to last us a year in the freezer. But, you know. That was probably <laughs> great for you since you had to slide into that role. Exactly. You know, and, you know we were so grateful for those people that even three months on still delivered food once a week. Um, Because I think that's the other thing is in the chaos of death, everybody, you know, everybody rallies around and then um, you have the funeral, everybody's there. And then a few weeks passed after the funeral and you as the griever, just you're still in that, but everybody else around you has continued with their normal lives, but your whole life has been turned on its head and you've got to find a new normal. And I think to show that you're still there, even after that time has passed, that is something that as a griever, I will never forget those people that showed up even after, you know, it when, when it seemed like everything was back to normal, you know, I was going back to school, my dad was going back to work, and we were out with our friends, people would see us laughing. They were still there. And they still showed up, even if they didn't know what to say, they still dropped some food at the door, or dropped a card off, or, you know, just popped us a text, you know, there's those small things. You don't forget people that do that. Right. Mm. So, so you're, you know, 16 is your coping and you're into this, I'm hearing, you know, really, your life was upheaved. You changed your role within the family. You changed your role within your s- school. Yeah. You changed your role within your peers. Mm-hmm. And then um, when did death visit again? How long was it? Um, you know, there were, there were relatives that died um, over the years. Um, and, but I, we haven't got the biggest family and um, we've got quite a small family and they were you know, it was sad, but it wasn't something that kind of rocked me. Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the most, the next death that really rocked me was my nephew. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, that was four years ago. And I think the reason that rocked me is because I saw my sister had already endured the death. Like, you know, she was older than me when my mom died. She had seen a lot. She, she had experienced the loss of a mother and then she had to then experience the loss of a child. That's too big losses in your life that for for one person to have to go through that um and and the way I saw her deal with that and the way that I saw other people approach her in that circumstance um that 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 was really eye-opening for me and that was a turning point for me and it was a really really hard time because my my niece Lily who is now nearly five she's she's healthy and well um you know she was still alive in the hospital she wasn't well she was she was in ICU for a very long time but my sister you know she had lost a child and she still had one child alive and she had to balance that and it 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 really really just was the turning point for me um I realized that I had a choice how I reacted to to death I had a choice in how I reacted to my grief. And my sister really was my biggest inspiration in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really, really 
hard time. I, I had actually been away for a month. I had been traveling for a month and I'd landed back and then uh, in the morning and then that night whilst I was asleep, I had a, a message which I didn't see until the next day because I was very jet lagged. I'd been in Fiji. So my time scale was all off out mm-hmm. of whack. And she had been taken to, my sister had been taken to hospital and it was all very, very quick, you know, very, very fast, um, very unexpected. So yeah, that was, that was kind of how it showed up again in my life in a really big way. And that, yeah, as I say, that was the turning point and all of the behaviors, all of the destructive behaviors, um, that I had had, that's when they kind of stopped and they came to a head and I realized, I have a choice here. Um, I'm going to need some support. And I Mm. went and seek support and help professionally. And it's kind of what's led to led me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, did that light a fire under your previous grief for your mother? Oh, 100%. I think we were all grieving the fact that my mum wasn't there. Mm. You know, she wasn't there. For a, it was, it was, it was a weird mix because it was A, she wasn't there to see the birth of her first two grandchildren. And then mm-hmm. B, she wasn't there to support my sister during her grief. And it, it was, it was, yeah, it was very, very apparent. Um, it was hard. It was really hard. But as I say, it changed my perspective on grief. Yeah. So it didn't feel as heavy as it had when I was 15, 16 years old. And, you know, the years leading up to that, it, it, was, a very, it was very different and very transformative. And, you know, I wish I'd wished, you know, that that had never happened. And I wish that I could have had that transformation and that, that perspective change without that needing to happen. Yes. Um, but that's just unfortunately the way that it was and the way that it, it happened for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. And not to, to bang a, a drum repeatedly, but, <laughs> but I do think, you know, understanding that you were in a different developmental stage of life as well, yeah. where you were able to see things in a different way than you could when you were in 15 or 16. And I'm mm. imagining you know, that was just a huge opening. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you had the maturity yeah. to say, okay, I'm going to, I don't, I want to, you know, seeing you had a choice, I want to choose something different. I'm going to get help where not a lot of teenagers are saying that, you know, they don't even, yeah. it's just not part of um, their vocabulary really. Mm. 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 And I think as well, seeing it, you know, obviously I was grieving, but I was also on the outside, more on the outside than I was with my mom, um, because I, the grief that my sister was feeling was, you know, a hundred times more the grief that I, I, I would have been feeling. Um, it was her child, and that I think allowed me to 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 look at it differently. And because she then we would talk and she would tell me the things that people have said, you know, those at least, at least you've, you know, at least you've got Lily. Oh yeah. And that's what kind of fueled me to do what I do now, because I, Mm. I was in a space where I was able to say that is not okay and communicate that to people. Mm -hmm. I had the words I was, I was, I already had everything within me from my experience with my mom that I hadn't been able to put into words that I could now and it was almost because I was able to I was doing it for my sister at that point rather than for myself and then it kind of shifted into doing it for myself as well wow I frequently talk about with myself and you know thinking that people might relate that my deep loss took me apart and Mm. put me back together differently Mm. and I'm really feeling seeing that transformation from what you're describing with your story, it Mm -hmm. literally sounds like it took, it dismantled you Mm -hmm. um, and the way you were walking in the world. Yeah. Right. And then, but um, woohoo, can we do a little dance? (laughs) What it transformed to was this beautiful work that you're putting out into the world to, and I do believe, you know, this, I want to hear 
these lessons from somebody that's telling me because of their experience, mm-hmm. you know, not from somebody that's telling me because it's the chapter they read in yeah. their book <laughs> in the class or, yeah. you know, that it just means so much more to be able to put it in the context of what you've been through. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and you know, we all, we all experience it differently and, you mm-hmm. know, somebody who only the other weekend I went to um, a so pre mother's day, high tea um with a motherless daughters charity here in Australia and I met I was sat on a table with with six other girls who had lost their mums at a similar age to me and we sat and we we spoke about our experiences and how how it impacted us and every single one of us reacted differently Mm. and I think that's why it's so it's it's so lovely to hear from people who have experienced because if you're just relaying what you read in the book, well, not one size, it's not one size fits all with grief, which, you know, as you, you'll know as well, and I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this will know, it's not one size fits all. And you can't just say, well, this is what it says in a book, so this is how you should react, or this is, must be what you're feeling. Because the way that I reacted to my mom's death and responded to that, that was a culmination of my experiences in life up until that point. Absolutely. It's as, as, as individual as we are as humans. Yeah. 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 And we don't get taught that we like you say, it's looked at more as, oh, this is what you should. This is where you should be at. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I do think, you know, I do think that theory side has a place. And I think for some people, it it can bring great comfort, but not everybody. I think it's dangerous. It's dangerous to think that that's the way it is for everybody. It's dangerous to try and fit us all into boxes because, you know, even outside of death and grief, we don't all fit into a box. We're, we're all very, very different. And I think it's something that, I think it's something that should be taught in schools a lot more. I think if I had had access to that that education in school and that awareness in school and my peers had had access to that, then it would have been a very different story for me. And I think what I'm hearing over and over and over from people hundreds of times and the way they find projects like yours and mine is it's the story element. Mm. They want to hear when you're, this is what I hear. I don't know, you know, you can tell me what your experience (laughs) is, but repeatedly I have people saying when, when I was at my lowest or even early on, all I was trying to do was find stories from other people that had lived through this. How was I going to live through this. Mm. So it's so interesting to me, interesting to me that they're looking for other people's stories more than they're looking for tell me what to do, you know, let yeah. me find that chapter. And that's where I think even if they're going to do it in schools, I agree that literacy needs to start. You know, when I was in school, and I'm sure it's probably the same way now, someone could have a sibling die or mm-hmm. a parent die, they're off for their 3 or 4 days or yeah. their week. They return to school. There's no special care or there was no oh, special care given. There was no that I recall. And maybe, you know, maybe somewhere there was a benevolent teacher that actually brought it up. But I don't recall anybody saying, okay, this person's coming back to school tomorrow. Mm. This is what they've been through. Let's talk about this for a little bit. How yeah. can we be compassionate and kind you know, what can we imagine is going through their minds and, you know, just giving through basically through story, because that's yeah. how the children are going to hear it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise it's learn. just that silent knowing and, you know, everybody around me knew, but nobody mm-hmm. said anything or did anything. And it was, I just wanted someone to say like, I know your mom's died and that must be really hard. <laughs> But well, nobody, and nobody, nobody acknowledged the fact that she had died. I felt like I had just come back to school and, you know, that was it. Right. And you get back to that phase, right, mm. where it is the egocentricity. And you're, that's probably magnified for you even, you know, mm. the whole everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody's looking at me differently. And then you have nobody feeling like very few are mm. acknowledging it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's exactly how I felt. Maybe that's a little bit of why your voice got louder and you showed yourself in a louder way. 
Yeah, yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, you know, I think I, I also, I didn't know who I was anymore. Mm. Um, and I almost tried to create, I mean, there's lots of different, you know, I, there's one friend, my, my best friend that we, we always joke, joke with each other because we look back and we can see the different people at the different stages that we mm-hmm. try to create ourselves to be. And yeah, I definitely almost tried to create a new identity for myself through through actions, through words. And then when I realized that that identity maybe wasn't the right one for me, I switched mm-hmm. and I tried a new, a new identity. And I felt so lost for so long because of that, because I didn't just allow myself to be me. I always tried to be yeah. something else. Because people weren't seeing you. Mm. I mean, who you were was a grieving girl. Yeah. And yeah, you weren't. Yeah, very, very interesting. Mm. You know, would that have, would you have needed to do that if people were seeing you and meeting you in that place? It's hard to tell. It's hard to know, yeah. (laughs) Because of adolescence and kids and, you know, again, everybody's different and you never know how you might have reacted to that. I mean, Mm. you might have been rebellious about that. I mean, I can remember myself at that age. Um, it would have had to be the right person approaching me for sure. Yeah, yeah. You, you never know, do you? You never know. No, you don't. <laughs> but it does help you become a better human mm. and and how you move forward in your life because you have so much empathy for that. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm you know, I, I am grateful now for for those bad decisions that maybe I made, for the for the experiences that I that I had, I'm not grateful, you know, I'm grateful for the lessons. I'm not grateful for the trauma. That's what I always like to say, because I'm not grateful that my mom died, but I'm grateful what I have learned from that and what I'm able to give to others now, because I feel like I'm able to give a part of her as well to others. And yeah. and she can, you know, she was a very giving woman. She was a woman who accepted people as they were. Um, she was always, she always made <laughs> she always made us play with the naughty kids at school always invited them over you know the ones that most parents told their kids to stay away from Mm -hmm. and that's that's just who she was because she accepted people as they were and she gave them that opportunity to be better if they wanted to be as well and to make those choices and to learn from their decisions and she just had so much love to give she was very direct she um she was German. She was very t- stereotypical German here, um, mm. very direct in what she was saying, but also a very big heart. And now I feel I'm able to give that to other people because of my experiences, because of the things I've learned and the things that I've gone through. I can give that back. And it feels like, yes, I'm myself. I don't want to say that she completely she is in everything that I do because I am myself. I'm my own person as well. But I'm able to at least show people that never got the opportunity to meet her a part of who she was. Um, And that for me is what keeps me doing the work that I'm doing. That's what gets me up every single day. That's what makes me know that what I'm doing right now is the right thing. And to not sit in that sadness of everything that's, that's been. Well, from the way you describe her, I would imagine depending on what your belief system is, that mm. she would or she is very, very proud of this Thank work you. you're doing. Yes, Thank you. absolutely. Thank you. I'd like to think so. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can. I could just feel the compassion as you were describing her. And mm. um, yeah, and, and that can just help you in those times, you know, because I know how it is having a project like this. It's not like, okay, now that I'm doing this service, my grief is oh, done and dusted, no. right? <laughs> so, you know, there's there are those times that you need to be reminded. Um, and that really helps me because I know that about my loved ones too. They would be yeah. so proud and they would, they would feel um, a real sense of love and appreciation that something as deep as, as their deaths and the grief surrounding it could, could um, bring to fruition something that's mm. helping other people. Mm. I mm. actually had this conversation the other day with, um, with a few friends about the fact that she would be proud that I'm just here anyway. Mm. Um, 
because I did get to a point where I was putting so much pressure on myself to make her proud that I almost, you know, halted myself slightly and held myself back in fear of letting her down. And I think that, you know, yes, she would be extremely proud of the things that I'm doing, but she would be proud of me regardless. Yes. And that's what I want to remind anybody that is listening to this is, yes, they can be proud of the things that you're doing and let that fuel you, but also know that if you're not doing it, they would be proud of you too, just for being here and just for living every day. Mm -hmm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I have a cheeky question to ask you, Katrina. Yeah. What, what is the question you like to end your podcast episodes on? Oh, if you had any, any words of advice, like what would it be? So Katrina, (laughs) (laughs) if you had Um, any words of advice, to others that are going through deep loss mm-hmm. right now, what would it be? You know, <laughs> I need to change this question on my podcast because whenever it's reversed onto me, <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think the main thing is just know that wherever you are in your grief, whatever you're feeling right now, that's okay. That's mm-hmm. that's valid. Um, you don't have to follow a timeline or a schedule. You don't have to be crying in a corner every single day to be grieving. Don't think that because you're out and you're enjoying a lunch with your friends or you're smiling, that that invalidates your grief um, or makes you not normal or that you're doing it wrong. I think it's really important to know that whatever you're feeling, you're allowed to feel but make sure that you share it with somebody. Don't let it eat you up. Don't let it just stay inside bubbling and boiling because at some point it will come out um, in a way. You can try and avoid it, but it will come out some way. And most of the time, it's probably not in the best way or the most safe or healthy way for you. So yeah, know that what you're feeling is okay. Acknowledge it. Allow yourself to sit with it. And just share it with somebody that you trust. Yeah. And if I, I just, what came up for me as you're saying that too, is reminding people, if there is a little gap where you feel you can't talk, mm. writing your words down on a piece oh, yeah. of paper, typing those words out mm. can be so helpful as well. And then help you process a little bit before you get to that place yeah. where you can be more open. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I remember, I don't have them anymore. I think I threw them away, actually. But I have had a lot of journals and books. I didn't even necessarily write. I just scribbled. Mm. (laughs) Because that, for me, was an outlet. I was able to let out that frustration or confusion or anger. So it didn't even have to be words. Um, But finding a safe way to express what you're feeling is so important. And it can be so, I think stories are so important, but also don't compare your story to somebody else's. Don't think that because that helped me, that has to help you too. Mm-hmm. Find a way that works for you. Try different things. And if it doesn't work, say that's okay and try something else. Um, yeah, that expression just, it's its so damaging to keep it inside. It is so damaging to just tie it up and try and not let it escape um, because it will it will seep out somewhere. So whatever way works for you. I personally liked to write, but that's not for everybody. And also know that you don't have to share your story with others for it to be valid either. Um, I know that like me and you, we share our stories, Becky, we share our stories and that has power, but you don't have to do that with your story. Your story is yours and it's up to you what you decide to do with it. If you choose to share it, that's great. And if you choose not to, that's, that's okay as well. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful sharing. Hey, Katrina, I would love for you to share with our listeners before we wrap Mm -hmm. a little bit more about your project and um, also how they can interface with it, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, of course. So um, I'm very active, usually on Instagram. So I do share quite a lot on Instagram. Um, I do have a podcast called Grow With Grief. So there's going to be an episode coming out soon, actually, where I interview you. Uh, the roles are reversed. Um, so that's definitely something that um, you should follow along and listen out for. Um, but then my main project at the moment is, yeah, going into workplaces or community groups and just sharing and educating on how we can support 
people in the workplace um, when they return to work after a significant loss um, and also just grief in general. So I'm very, very, very passionate about talking about grief in all of its forms, um, not just death, but also um, grief because the breakdown of a relationship, the loss of identity, um, many, many job loss, many, many other things, and um, really giving people that voice and that acknowledgement to know that, you know, what they're feeling is grief and it doesn't have to be a certain thing to be feeling grief. So yeah, for, for if, if you want to get involved or you are at a workplace and you think that maybe having those conversations and uh, maybe management having a bit of support and um, to put policy and procedure in place to ensure that they're doing what they can for their employees or just having that conversation would help, then please do reach out to me. Um, probably best to reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and um, we can have that conversation too. Um, I'm always just happy to chat, to be honest, if you want to connect and, you, and you've got questions. I'm not I'm not a professional. I'm not, you know, a professional in the sense of um, a therapist or qualified therapist or any counsellor or anything like that. But I I do have life experience and I'm more than happy to share what helped me um, and, and just hold that space for you if you need if you need that space. Yeah, beautiful. And we will have links to. um where you want people to go in the program notes as well. So for our listeners to understand that. Well, Katrina, thank you so much. It's um, yeah. Opening your heart and understanding um, your story and what has brought you to this work in a deeper level has been really meaningful for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's always nice to don't get the opportunity to share in much depth about my own story. So mm. um, it's been a pleasure. And I just hope that the listeners um, found something valuable in it, too. So thank you so yes. much for having me. <laughs> I'm sure they have. You take good care. You too. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.